Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Well, good morning. Good reminder for us as we think about our series and we are digging into the elements. And uh, today we look at the element of kindness, of kindness. If you have your Bibles, if you would please turn with me to the book of Psalms. Psalms. This is not going to be up on the screen, but I would love for you to read along with me, to follow along with me from Psalm. And we're going to look at the 145th Psalm and read it together. Follow along. I'll be reading from the ESV version and uh, thankful for each one of you and that you've joined with us as we worship our great God. Today we want to look at kindness and this Psalm speaks of the character of our God I think it fits well with what we're going to talk about here in just a moment. So if you would follow along with me, Psalm 145, David says this, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your glorious works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and of the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations." The Lord is faithful in all his words and the kindness in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him. And to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him. But all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Would you pray with me Lord? We thank you for being our God. And we do want to. Bless your name forever and ever, just as David wrote here in this psalm. We want one generation after another to look and to see and to hear of your mighty works. That they can see and and testify of your character and the evidence that you are truly God and that you are truly Lord. We come now, Lord, in this place at this time and we ask that your spirit would work in us that you would help our minds to be able to focus and to concentrate on what you're trying to speak to each one of us. And Lord, may your word not return void. We thank you for the promises of that great 
verse, Lord, that as we, as we continue to share, and Lord, as your word goes forth, you have that great promise that it will not return void. Because your word is powerful and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's able to pierce into the heart and to the soul of man beyond just the bones and the flesh. We thank you for that, Lord. And we just pray that your spirit would do a mighty work in us. That as we leave here today, we would be changed and different. Because we've met with you, the true and living God. We give you praise. And the adoration that you so rightfully deserve, Lord, we honor you. We glorify your name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Ever been around a kind person before? Those are the type of people that you see them coming and you turn the other way, right? No, there is a warmth about a kind person that is attractive, Right? Someone who has this kindness, you want to be around and you enjoy it. It is not a chore. It is not work. It is, it is comforting. You let your guard down and it's like a peaceful place. When you're around a person that is kind, it, it is like a, a soothing balm for, for your ailments. A kind person. I'm going to share this throughout this morning, but I would ask for you to consider this. Are you a kind person? Would you consider yourself a kind person? It's a challenging question. The warmth of a kind person is, um, as um, Charles Stanley says, it's a built-in attraction. And so when we think about kindness and this element of kindness and being able to live it out, it is that attraction that brings people not only to us, but brings them to the source of that kindness. It brings them to the source of the elements that flow out of us. And so we have this built-in attraction. We, we should naturally attract people. And so if you find yourself constantly pushing people aside, uh, you might want to look and say, hmm, Maybe, maybe, I, maybe I'm missing something, and maybe there's somebody close to you that, uh, that you can confide in and, 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 and help you look and say, hey, do I have an element that has this built-in attraction? And this morning, we look at this, this term kindness. Um, Alistair Begg um, shared about these two terms, kindness and goodness, because they're, they're really, really similar and uh, the way he puts it is he had a professor um, during his, his uh, theological training um, that said that kindness is a des uh, deposition and where goodness is the expression of that. And so we'll just go with that because Alistair is much smarter than I am and his prof was probably way, way smarter than me. But as we look at this, uh, at these terms today, we'll look at goodness next week. But this kindness that this is, this is a deposition that this is um, part of who makes you you. And so as we look at that, we first look at, at all of these elements and we see that they come in the very character of God. Just like we see love, joy, peace, patience. We see those characteristics in our God. The same is true for kindness. 
And that's where we must begin. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But I'm going to go again to where we kind of have started to define these terms. And in Webster 1828, which uh, a few of you were around back then, but most of us weren't. Um, I won't call out any names, but no, I won't. Okay. Kindness. Uh, Webster defines it this way. Goodwill, a benevolence. Uh, that temper or disposition, there, there's that term, which delights in contributing to the happiness of others, which is exercised cheerfully in gratifying their wishes, supplying their wants, or alleviating their distresses. Kindness ever accompanies love. Once again, when we look at these elements, the elements, the fruit of the Spirit, I just want to remind you, it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's actually a singular, the fruit of the Spirit. They're all together. And so while these are individual elements, as we're looking at them, they make up what a follower of Christ looks like and how we live. And so, again, Alistair Begg says it this way. There's three truths about these elements. Number one, they are a product found in in the Holy Spirit. They're a product of a life that is found in the Holy Spirit. Number two, it's evidence of an individual abiding in Christ. We've talked about that from the very first week about how these elements show that whether or not we're abiding in Christ or we're not abiding in Christ. And so when I ask you that question, would you classify or consider yourself to be a kind person? It may show and it may be a true fact that maybe you're not abiding in Christ or maybe you are a kind person and you know that that is because you you have been and you consistently and you're trying and striving to abide in Christ. And the last truth that, that Alistair shares is fruit that is produced in all in each believer. Again, it's the fact that this fruit isn't fruits. It's a together thing. It's all in every believer, every follower of Christ. We exemplify this. This should be living out of us. These elements are what makes us a follower of Jesus. And so when we look at this kindness and we see the definition of this, to be able to, to, to cheerfully and to willingly to give of ourselves or to give of other things, it speaks of our great God. And in the Old Testament, the term that is used here is a term um, called hesed. And actually, Michael Card, um, very well, very respected musician, has put together a book on this, and I would highly recommend it to you. Um, uh, it's called Hesed, and so he, he does a fantastic job of walking through the scriptures and seeing the Hesed of our God. Now, when you look at the Old Testament, you, you don't often see the word kindness. Sometimes you see it. Actually, in the passage that we read, uh, you saw the word kind um, later in the chapter, uh, in the verse. But actually, earlier in the chapter is the word hesed, and it speaks of God's loving kindness, of his loving goodness. And that's that word hesed, and it's shared over 245 times in the Old Testament. That's why it's so valuable and so rich and, and for us to be able to see the kindness of God, the loving kindness that he has shown us. It, it really is defined in a deep covenantal love between God and his people. 
And I'm sure that as we think back to the stories of, of what we've read in the Old Testament, that we can see over and over again God's kindness to a people that even though they revolted, even though they were rebellious, even though they turned their back on God, that God was still kind to them. God was still showing his hesed, his loving kindness. We read that in the psalm that David shared with us, that great is the Lord and uh, he is good to all. His mercy is over all that he has made. Uh, he's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, abounding in that term, hesed, that kindness. In the New Testament, uh, there's uh, a few different Greek words that are used for kindness or kind. Uh, the kind of like, hey, they're going to be that kind of animal there. Or uh, We're not talking about that word kind, but we're talking about the kindness and, and that word is Christosios, and it's most commonly seen, and what it, what it, how it is defined is to be honest, respectable, or worthy, or worthiness. And so we see this um, uh, used throughout the New Testament, and we see it used in two different ways, and that's what I want to explore with you this morning. First, we see this term used of God. And so if you have your Bibles, and you can turn with me there to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 2, we'll start there. We'll look at God's kindness and ultimately his purpose of showing that kindness. Not only is it his character, but God in everything that he does, he has a purpose and he has a reason. And so Paul is writing to um, in his letter to the Romans, he explains this whole idea and this whole relationship of God with people here on earth. And he lays it out in the very beginning in the first several chapters. And he is going to put the, the dark cloud, the, the doom, the gloom, the, the realization that, that, you know, there is something amiss. There's something wrong with mankind. And so in Romans chapter 2, um, he says this, therefore, you, verse 1. Romans chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practices the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And so what do we see here? We see, well, Paul's trying to make the argument here that, again, we all judge one another. And he's trying to make that very apparent. Okay, you're judging people based not upon how you live because you're guilty of doing the very same things that you're judging people. And so... God has extended his kindness, his patience, his mercy here. Uh, and as he does, Paul explains why God does that. He is, a, he is extending kindness, desiring what? Repentance. And there's that term. It's a term that we don't like to talk about. It's a term that we don't want to hear about. We want to feel good. We want to we enjoy life. But let me tell you, church, in America today, we need repentance. And we should be people who are quick to repent. We need to be people who turn from our sin. And the realization is that you and I are all sinners, correct? Yeah, and people don't want to talk about it. People don't want to hear sermons about it anymore. We need that. We are all sinners in need of God's kindness. 
God's kindness is shown to us because we get to live each day. God's kindness is shown to us because not only do I get to live each day, but he's given a way for us to have a relationship with him. To have not only a relationship today or yesterday or tomorrow, but a relationship that will span all of time and will last eternally. That's the kindness of God. And the kindness of God of extending that mercy to extend that grace to us should lead us to be people who are quick to repent. So when we see the kindness of God exemplified around us, when mankind walks the face of the earth and they see the kindness of God, Paul is saying it is meant and its purpose is to draw people to himself, to, to see who they are and who the perfect holy creator God is and that they would repent, that they would turn from their sin, realizing that they have nothing good to offer a holy and perfect God. And that's where Romans 3, and if you can flip over there, Romans chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says this. He says, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. You know that term there for good is actually the term here for kindness. No one does kindness, what Paul is quoting from is an Old Testament text that helps each of us to realize that the kindness that we show doesn't come out of ourselves. In fact, we don't have that goodness. We don't have that kindness, that good in us. We don't have anything to offer. But our God does because God is kind and he shows his loving kindness and it endures forever. Flip over a few books now to the book of Titus, Titus chapter 3. So Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and then we come to the book of Titus, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Paul writing to the young Titus as he continues to share the gospel and continue to push the churches to maturity. Paul writes this, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. When we look at our lives and we see the goodness of God, we trace it back to this point where, where Paul, as he's writing and he's saying, we see the goodness and the loving kindness of our God. And, and that is shown when Jesus shows up, that Jesus, our Savior, the one who left heaven and was born of a virgin who lived a perfect and sinless life, was beaten and hung on a cross, ultimately dying in our place, was buried and rose again three days later. He allows us, it's through that kindness, through that gift, that we are able, as Paul says, to have a washing done on us. Just as we sang earlier, the, the lamb that was killed. And when the lamb that was killed in the Old Testament, the family was to put their hand on the head because that was the sacrifice 
And, and, and it was an acknowledgement of saying, we are sacrificing this lamb in accordance with what God has told us and what God has commanded us. And we are trusting that this, the blood of this lamb, the sacrifice is going to be sufficient. Well, the lamb of God came and he died and his blood is sufficient to wash us, to clean us from all of our sin. And that's what Paul is reminding them here. The goodness and the loving kindness of our God. When it appeared, he saved us, not because of the works that we have done. Again, going back to what Paul wrote in Romans, we don't have good to offer God. So we come and we look at this kindness and it, it can't help but to humble us. And to help us to realize that the kindness that we exemplify and that we are to live out, it cannot be done in and of ourselves. Now, where's the rub? The rub is, you know, you know there are kind people who don't know Jesus, right? Let me put my glasses on so I can see you nod your head. Right? You know kind people that don't know Jesus. Would you agree? Where does that kindness come from? James tells us that every good and precious gift comes from the Father above. And God is not a respecter of persons, so God allows the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. And so God can use unsaved people who are not walking with him. He can use them to show his kindness, can he not? And he does. When we look at our lives as followers of Jesus, how much more does God desire to use us and allow his elements, the elements of his spirit to work in us and to show through us? How much more when we see the goodness of God and what he's done for us, why would we not want to be kind and compassionate to those around us. Well, it's because we're selfish, right? Right? Are you selfish? It's a great sermon today, Pastor. Thanks. Mm -hmm. We all are selfish. Let's, let's just admit it. We're all in the same boat, okay? Some of you aren't on the yacht over there of self-righteous, glorious, all perfect. I'm sorry, you're not. That ship has sunk long ago. We're actually all in the same boat and we're all sinners and deserving of the righteous judgment of God. That's what we deserve. But God who is rich in his mercy and who is kind to us, extended to us a gift. And that gift is found in his son, Jesus. We've been given eternal life through Jesus if we will acknowledge who he is, that he is Savior and he is Lord, that he is the one perfect sacrifice that has been made for you and for me, and that the only way to get to God, to have a relationship with God, is through Jesus. It's the only way. I don't say that. The Bible says that. Jesus said that. No one comes to the Father, he says, but through me. So he's either very arrogant, very bold, or he's right. He could be a lunatic too, but if you look at his life, 
you must examine and start to look and start to wonder. And so if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you haven't trusted him today, I, I strongly encourage you do some work and examine and see who is this Jesus. Because I'm fully confident as you examine and you start digging, you'll see that Jesus is worthy of your love and your devotion. Where it's hard is when we come as followers of Jesus, we know what Jesus has done for us. We acknowledge that. We trust that. We know that we can't save ourselves. But we continually wrestle and we fight our flesh. We fight ourself. And so when we look at this, we, we must constantly be reminded of what makes our relationship with God our relationship with God. What is the characteristic of that? And Ephesians chapter 2 helps us with that. What's the foundation of it? Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 7. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he had loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in what? Kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It is by grace that we can sit here today and we can acknowledge that through faith, we have a relationship with God. It's not because of what we do. And so we're not going to be able to do kindness apart from God. And yet we try to do that at times. And so this morning, it is, it is my goal to help you to see, especially this morning, to see the kindness of God. And that that would motivate and encourage us to continue to abide in him. And as we abide in him, that that kindness would just come out and flow out through us. And so I again ask you, would you consider yourself to be a kind person? We see in the miracles of the Gospels, Mark 10, 46 talks about the blind Bartimaeus. And in Mark 7, verse 24, it talks about the Syrophoenician woman whose daughter was, had an unclean spirit. And Mark 7, verse 21, the deaf and the dumb man who couldn't hear and couldn't speak and how Jesus takes him to the side and he heals him. Over and over and over and over again, we see the kindness of Jesus just poured out through the Gospels as the Gospel writers help us to see who is this Jesus and who is this God that has come down to man. When we see the life-changing kindness of Jesus in the Gospels, it should encourage us and it should challenge us to continue to abide in him, to say, this is the man who changes lives. And the more I spend time with him, the more I abide in him, the more I just enjoy his presence, the more he just flows out of me and in me and through me. It isn't just sitting down like a textbook and just reading the word. It isn't just, okay, I've got to do my duty so I show up to church on Sunday morning. No, God desires more. He wants you to see deeper, a fuller, a greater love that he has for you. And so I encourage you, look and see the kindness of God. We read it in the text. It should help encourage us as we look at our own lives, 
and we look at the kindness of God in our own lives. If you sat down and started making a list, could you make a list of the kindness of God and how he has displayed it in your life? Now, I will caution you. I do believe that, again, in our Western culture, we struggle with this because at times we look at the things that we have or the things that God has done for us. I've started to read a, a, a very difficult and lengthy book uh, from J.I. Packer about the Puritans. Puritans were a group of people from 15, uh, 1550 to 1700, roughly. And as they lived their lives, they, they desired in a pure way of following the gospel, of following the word of God and being true to it. And you know what these Puritans show us? There's a richness there that they were thankful for the kindness of God, not because of the things that they had, but they thank God every day. Every day because they had a relationship with him. So just as in Job, if God decided to allow circumstances or situations to strip you from everything that you hold tight, would you still say that God is kind? It is only a matter of time. If you have not yet, you will experience hardship and trial Pain and agony, difficulty, suffering, things that don't make sense. But when we look at the external and we allow that to dictate whether or not we define God as kind or not, it shuts off. It shuts off the vine. It shuts off the nourishment that God is desiring for each one of us. And yes, it is challenging and it is difficult. Again, when I'm reading about these Puritans, that they just hoped that half of their kids lived, yet alone lived to 30. These were people who were tormented and, 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 and ultimately gave their life, a lot of them, over in, in, in England. And then when some of them traveled here to America to start a new life, they found, they found misery. They found great peril, great agony. And so we must be so careful as we define kindness of God that, that all of a sudden it's all this goodness that we get to enjoy. While it is kind that God is generous to us, let us not be shallow Christians. Let us not think that the externals define and should define our relationship with God and his kindness. May we repent of that. May our walk with Jesus be so much deeper that by the grace of God, if anything and anything at all were stripped away, that we would still be able to look at the kindness and the goodness of our God and to be able to give him glory and be able to continue to follow him in faith and faithful service. Because again, I encourage you, it is not by our works that we can obtain righteousness of God. It is not by our own doing that we can walk the face of this earth. And yet we try to do it each day, don't we? And for that, I am a very proud and arrogant man. But when I look at the kindness of God. And maybe it's just because I'm getting older. And my kids give me a hard time. I can't watch some movies without, you know. 
my eyes sweat. But when I think of the kindness of God, the older I'm getting, the more I just can't fathom and understand why, God, have you been so kind to me? We've got this element of kindness, and it should flow naturally from our abiding in Christ. But I want to also challenge you because throughout a few different texts, and we're going to look at them quickly here, we're we're also told to be kind. And so there there is this mindset and this attitude of, of making sure that we, as we abide in Christ, that we allow that kindness to come out. But sometimes that is a choice that we choose because we're followers of Christ. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 6, Paul's talking about this and how Paul lived and how they, as they shared the gospel and spread it around, he he talked about, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, being by great endurance and affliction, hardship, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, uh, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness the Holy Spirit, genuine love. He's saying, these are the things that are try- I'm trying to live out. Then he says this in Acts 28 too. He talks about the kindness of the people of Malta. That they sh- showed an unusual kindness. And this helps us to see again, they weren't followers of Jesus. They didn't even know Jesus. And yet the kindness of God was flowing through them. And so when Paul was coming and sharing and got to share Jesus, their hearts and their minds were open. Because who is this man who got bitten by a snake and they were ready for him to fall over and die? And yet, there he was. And it opened an avenue where he could share Jesus. All right, Colossians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Two verses left. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul says this. He's already talked about putting to death in verse 5 what is earthly. And in verse 12, he says, put on then as God's chosen holy ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You see it in the list? Put on. Would you consider yourself a kind person? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. We have this verse on our main beam in our living room. It's etched in there. And it says this, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind. Sometimes that's not easy. It's one of the elements that as we allow Jesus to shine in us and through us, it separates us. It makes us different. You know what that term is in the Bible? It's called holiness. To be distinct. To be set apart. God calls us to be holy because he is holy. And so in our pursuit of each day, Sometimes living out kindness may be the hardest thing to do. But in doing that, 
You are striving to be holy. Again, don't do that by yourself because you will fail miserably. Allow the Spirit of God to continue to teach you and to show you and to guide you that we would be people who are kind to one another. So would you consider yourself a kind person? Are you living in the Spirit of God? Because the only way you can be a kind person is if you're living in the Spirit of God. And ultimately, I want you to ask yourself this as you think of application for this week. Who needs to see the kindness of God in you? Who does God want you to show the kindness that he has shown you to someone else this week? There was an 11-year-old, Elizabeth Lee. She reached into Lion's Cage and Anchorage Amusement Park. Cleo, 300-pound lioness, came and seized her arm. The Alaskan State Trooper, Frank Johnson, raced to the rescue, and he pulled out his pistol, and he shot the lion in the head. And as the lion fell dead, both Johnson and the girl went sprawling. Johnson's gun accidentally went off again, and the girl was wounded in the thigh. Elizabeth eventually, eventually recovered. But she filed a $65,000 damage suit against the trooper, the amusement park in the state of Alaska. The jury decided that the amusement park should pay her $15,000 in damages because the cage was inadequately guarded. It rejected the rest of Elizabeth's claim. Johnson's exoneration was based on Alaska's, quote, Good Samaritan statue. Like similar statues in more than 40 other states, it holds that one who voluntarily aids a person in distress is not liable for damages unless gross negligence is involved. The English common law traditionally rejected compulsiveness to save. Instead, it made the rescuer responsible for mishaps caused by negligence. Thus, in 1966, a Georgian court ruled that the owner of a private swimming pool had no duty to rescue a drowning child. On the other hand, a Wyoming traveler who traveled, who tried hard to um, herd some cattle off the road to avoid an accident was held liable for damages when the animals ran around a bend and collided with an oncoming car. Crazy, isn't it? Whether we are held liable or not, we report to one. And let me tell you, as I've told my children, is it ever wrong to be kind? Our world desperately needs to see the kindness of God through us. I pray that he would, he would do that through us this week. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness. I thank you for the kindness that we not only read about in the word, but that we have experienced in the real person, Jesus, who gave his life so that we could have life with you. Lord, I want to thank you for the kindness of the people here at West Hill. Charles Spurgeon once said, no man can do a, a truer kindness in this world than to pray for me. And Lord, that is so true for us. It's so true for me. And so I thank you for the kindness of the people here who pray for me. 
Lord, I pray that we would continue to be people who display this element of kindness. Because it brings us joy and it brings you glory. Apart from you, we can do nothing. You can do anything, Lord. And so we pray that you would use us as your vessels to display this element of kindness in our world this week. We pray this in the name of Jesus.